about to listen to an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. The purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. It is not to be confused with a legal investigation. Opinions expressed are solely those of the participants. The following contains adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Well, thanks for tuning in again to the Molly Miller podcast. This is Russ Naranjo, the co-producer. And, of course, Kimberly Lowe is here today. And, Kimberly, since the last podcast, you've seen quite a spike in listenership and quite a reaction. Isn't that true? We have. This was uh, done with very little publicity and very little fanfare. And on Apple Podcasts alone, we had 250 downloads in a week, which is pretty extraordinary. Especially since any promotions, at least that I've been doing, is through um, Spotify. Exactly. And our promotion in general has been, for the most part, Facebook and our I, own private I media I will admit accounts. that I did put flyers up around town. They weren't the ones that said uh, police conspiracy. This is long after those flyers went up <laughs> or chalking or anything like that. And um, that was that was a while ago, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a lot of downloads for on Apple iPod. Yes, there is, Russ. There is still an interest in this case and in this podcast, and it certainly exceeded any expectations that either of us had when we were putting this together. Yes, and um, we're actually getting a lot of responses from people, uh, not only outside the area, but which we have a lot of listeners, but inside Charlottesville, a lot of people are starting to really respond to this uh, podcast. I did get some feedback as to why we were going down this dark road. There were a few people who had worked with me that decided that they no longer wanted to be affiliated with it or said outright, I can no longer support this because you're going down this dark road. My response to that was, when we were investigating this, this was a bit like having a puzzle Uh, a bit like having a bunch of puzzle pieces, and we didn't necessarily know what the finished picture was going to look like. And it can be very confusing to assemble a puzzle when you don't know where the pieces go or what it's going, the finished product is going to look like, and also when there's other pieces that may not even be part of that puzzle. We needed a complete picture of her life, and that did include going down a dark path. I mean, what you got to expect because this is not going to be an upbeat podcast. We're dealing with the death of somebody and some questions about that. Generally, it's not going to be a walk down the yellow brick road. It's going to be a dark path. And unfortunately, you know, like you said, we're just looking for the truth. And you know what? Sometimes the truth hurts. And the truth hurts. I'm sorry, but it's going to hurt. Absolutely. And, you know, this was a dark story to begin with. Uh, you had a young woman that was dead at 31. And whether she committed suicide or whether there was something uh else to the story, this was going to be pretty dark. When you set out to learn the truth, you set out to learn the truth, and the truth is whatever it is. That there is um, a responsibility on behalf of anyone who does any sort of documentation, documentary uh, sort of projects, as to what they're going to include and what they are, they're going to exclude. And I think in the end, everything that we chose to include was very relevant to telling the story. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, it is true. And it's happening here in Charlottesville. Exactly. Which most people don't think it's going to happen. Before we go on, I do want to plug to listeners. They also have podcasts. Ryan Gaffey, he's doing the podcast End on End. That's about the DC punk scene. And uh, that's a really good cast. Uh, Laura Rodriguez McDonald, who is located in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And her podcast is the Ivy League Murders. They're also helping plug our podcast, so we kind of have to trade. But getting back to this dark road that they've gone down, a lot of the listeners if not most of the ones, the feedback I've been getting is about the episode with Edward Thomas. Yes, I got a lot of feedback about that particular episode and about him. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was really the only person in this case who agreed to sit down for an interview. And also his story was, it was very strange. Like I said before, uh, parties in general are not going to go on at your house and you're not going to be really there especially these type of, quote, parties. And I have had, you know, some talk from the local BDSM community and Mm -hmm. people who live an open lifestyle within Mm -hmm. their marriage or relationships. I wanted to make clear that this is not, uh, certainly was not safe, and this is not sane. And I also don't think it's a true representative of what an open lifestyle is. I believe that that was just a front, an excuse that was used to justify these girls doing what they did. There were some very dark allegations as to what went on at those uh, particular parties. And I admit, I really questioned claim that he really didn't know that what was going on. I mean, this was taking place in his house. And even his claim that he was just, um, you know, oblivious to a lot of this or was just going out to his studio to paint. It didn't make a lot of sense because uh, we're talking about a very small area. One thing that I want to clear up is the criticism that we focused on these parties, focused on this particular event in Molly's life. Uh, these parties were going on for years. Yeah, we have we have them going back at least to 2014 and really before that. Yeah. First time it was claimed that she went to one of these was in 2014. And I believe the last one that she went to was in 2017. And it it was also significant because the people that were associated with these parties, from the uh, individual who planned them to the regular attendees, were very much part of her life. These were the people that it appeared that she associated with for the majority of her her time. That is true. That is true. And one thing that was always of of, of note was that when she went missing, uh, none of these people, at least um, publicly, whether it was on social media or through the media, acknowledged that they knew her. Another thing that's important to note is what we've heard is that uh, uh, some of these girls were aging out. Yeah. And she was in her 30s, early 30s, and, you know, someone would say, oh, that's not too old. It was for them. And allegedly... It could have gone below the age of 18. Yeah, there were some pretty, uh, there were some big bombshells. The one of the bombshells is in order for somebody in their late 20s, early 30s, whatnot, to really stay in, they would have to do more extreme stuff, even if they didn't want to. Yes, that was one of the claims. Yes, that's one of that, the claims. That this was getting more and more extreme. And, and, that, and as far as the safe, sane, and consensual, it wasn't like they really knew what they were getting into, they didn't want to. They were being told to. There really wasn't an out. And these were incredibly structured as well. These were not casual get-togethers. These were very much planned. That was confirmed by um, at least three people who attended these. 
And one thing that is worth noting, these parties and the mere mention of them really did worry quite a lot of individuals. Right before Edward Thomas cut off correspondence, I found out that another person had access to his email account, which was totally unknown to me. I thought that was, was a very a, strange occurrence. Uh, yeah, um, that that's worth noting. So, I mean, this was a private. It, this appeared to be a private email account. It was um, it, it was a Gmail account, and uh, there was nothing to suggest that this was a business account. Certainly, nothing to suggest that other um, individuals had access to this. And I received an email. It was actually during a um, morning radio shift from someone saying, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. I have access to his account. Uh, he, he no longer wants to talk about these topics. You know, it was very strange. Well, what she said is, can you make a digest or something and send it all in one week instead of sending it day by day? Uh, yeah, I was instructed to, uh, to, to uh, there were two things that were, uh, I was instructed to do. One was to perhaps keep a journal and two was to send like a weekly digest of events. Uh, I was really taken aback. My, my response was, who are you? And wow, you've been reading all of these emails. I was later told that this individual was somehow affiliated with the business side of his paintings. And that explanation left more questions than answers. I, I don't know why somebody who was associated with um, sales of his paintings would be going through personal emails about this case. Well, and I don't understand why he would want people to be on that email address that email account explaining this case if other people are on it. That, uh, th yeah, that, that, and that is worth noting. Uh, in a subsequent email that uh, was sent by him, he did say that, yes, he did give this person access to his emails and that this person had been reading these emails the entire time, which, um, needless to say, did not go over very well with me. No, that was not a very good moment, was it? No, it, was, it, it kind of took a turn it, here. It was not a very good moment because I think that one of the problems with dealing with people that were very close to this case is everybody had their own narrative as to what they thought had happened. And I thought one of the advantages I had is that prior uh, to this case, I didn't know any of these people. I had never heard of any of these people. I certainly have never heard of any of these people. Yeah, I and I had never even spent time in that part of town. So I thought that that gave me the ability to look at things uh, fresh and without uh, biases. And uh, when I deviated from the narrative that people wanted, it, it, it created problems for them. Well, one thing is that I get a lot of feedback. Watch out for this Edward guy. No one purposely goes out and gets protective orders against themselves. That was another question that I had. Uh, yeah, when he mentioned that in the interview, I was very astounded by that. He claimed that protective orders were um, reciprocal. No, they're not actually. And that he wanted them against him. Logically speaking, that never made too much sense to me. Well, this is what I'm seeing. So you have Edward's narrative. You have this person who was monitoring his emails. Mm -hmm. We have the person going down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing something organized, something that was maybe an ongoing racket, maybe something like that. But this, I'm seeing an organization of people that made sure these things went on. And I've seen an organization of people that wanted to stifle any talk of these parties and of these events that really did yes. not want this information out there. I, I'm saying there's about five people that organize. That are in order, 
Yeah, based that, on your research. Based on what this, I research. Yeah. And there's and three others plus those five that want this podcast to go away. But the impact that we've been getting just in the last week since the last podcast, they're completely outnumbered. Actually, you can add another person, which would be the chief of police, wants us to go, us to go away, and we're not. You know, it, 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 now it gets to be bigger because not only was Molly in with this crowd, other people were in with this crowd. Yes. To a lot of the people who were my friends, you were a couple degrees away from, if not one degree away from, who these people were. We know that just by looking on Facebook and looking at friends lists. And there's other girls who were caught up in this. They really don't know where to go to. I imagine when you get caught up in sex trafficking, which allegedly it looks allegedly, like it, it, yeah. it may be sex, it, or at least something to do with you know a vice like that, and it may be illegal, you don't know how to get out. Molly was in with that, and she wasn't the only one. Simple as that. At the very least, she was around people that were alleged to have been trafficked. She was around somebody quite close from the appearance of it who was alleged to be a trafficker. And that was very relevant Among to other the things, because like I've said, if you got your hands on one thing, yeah. you got your hands on other things, and Absolutely. you might actually get your nose into it, too. Absolutely. And yeah, that's it, too. They did have a... There is a um, institution in town that is very popular, and that place was a meat market. And it certainly uh, seemed that way. Yeah. Uh, I'd only been there once to see a show. It was a weekday show during the day or something, you, you know, a long time ago, mm-hmm. so I, I didn't think much of it. But it is apparently, from what we have heard, and, and it, it was, I had one person tell me she went there once and it was very sketchy and that she didn't feel very comfortable and the people that were there did not make her feel very comfortable. It appeared to be that it was a recruiting uh, spot for this individual that was accused of trafficking um, uh, and, and, uh, and other things. Um, and, 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 you know, we're very careful to say allegations, but uh, one thing that is a fact is that she did spend years around these individuals. That, that's, that's a proven fact. Another thing that is also a proven fact is that this part of her life appeared to be very separate from the life that she shared with her live-in boyfriend. It does not appear that he was affiliated with this. And, you know, when you're doing an investigation, it, it, especially when you're trying to find out about how somebody, somebody died when there's so many unanswered questions, it is essential that everybody she was with should have been questioned. And by that, I mean the police had an obligation to, to question these individuals. And it goes back. E- even if they didn't know anything, you still take the time to find out that somebody might have known something. And that brings up two things. One, she goes missing one day. Three days later, she's found in the closet hanging. Okay, Absolutely. we've already discussed that. That's what it comes down to. You know, all right, you're not gonna not notice something in the in the closet. And and also, uh, the and how big was how big was the living space? Uh, uh, it was 1,029 square feet according to the property records, but my understanding was it was less than that because of the upstairs. The upstairs was being renovated. I've that seen was my the understanding. and I've seen the house, and I would not go upstairs on that house right now. It so needs some serious construction work. Right yeah, here's yeah. like there's some yeah some some pretty big renovations going on. 
The Charlottesville police, we know, did go through the trouble of uh, having dogs pairing up with UVA police and I think even pairing up with Albemarle police. I think that's where the uh, canines came from. And it does bring up the question, if they were willing to bring to do these resources, then surely they should have made an effort to at least find out who this young lady was hanging around with and questioning them. And, and the second thing I want to bring up is we know that the police did go to Edward Thomas, which also brings it back around to why a lot of people have been saying, why would the police go to him and not anyone else? Now, I don't know if they went to anyone else, but Edward Thomas brought it out that the police came to him, and he was very grateful for it, or he wasn't going to resist in any way. He said that he was happy to see them, I think, was the exact Mm -hmm. quote, because he wanted to speak to them. But he said, and this was confirmed by uh, somebody else, that uh, he, he was apparently the only person that was considered a suspect. He was later cleared after her death, but he was considered a suspect. And, now, and, and I always did wonder, well, what was it about him Why in was he considered a suspect? That's a good question. That's, a, that's the question that also comes up. and He couldn't answer that when, and, I, when I asked him. And he just said, I wanted them to come, and that way I could talk about my story. I didn't want him to get a—I remember he said he didn't want him to have to wait and get a, a warrant. He said, he said that the person that we considered— the person in the rabbit hole was there. Yeah. Yes, yes. He was very adamant because he said that that man was actually quite boastful about having been there and said, oh, this is really exciting. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking that's a really weird response because, you know, keep in mind, they were still very close friends at the time. This was a man that he said, direct quote, he considered him to be like a surrogate father or a father figure in his life. And he's, you know, boasting about this. And this is the same individual, again, who days later takes to social media, criticizing the police saying, why aren't they talking to people? Why aren't they questioning people? And my question when I'm seeing that was, well, why didn't you speak up? You were there. Surely this was your opportunity. That was something that really was just very mind blowing. Yes. And if you go back and listen to it like we did, one thing that people have to understand is that we're seeing the trees, not the forest sometimes. Absolutely. And we have to be better about that. Step back and see the forest. There were a lot of questions from that interview as far as, yeah, I I was having these wild sex parties, but I I was out in the shed painting to because I wanted to be eccentric and uh, I wanted to get restraining orders against me in the pre. Yeah, I I, I wanted the restraining orders against me. Uh, I think that he said specifically because they were reciprocal and also because he welcomed the media attention, which as an investigator never really quite made sense to me because as far as I was concerned, I thought that destroyed any credibility that he would have had. Getting restraining orders against you, particularly for harassing a dead woman's mother and stepfather, is certainly not not going to make somebody appear to be a very credible or a very sympathetic figure. No. F- furthermore, he he threw out a, f- a number when I said, what percentage of those parties were was she at? And I think he said something like 20%. He gave a low percentage, but... So he it, knew he knew was at, who was at these parties and what was going well, on. I, well, it kind of contradicted yes. his earlier statement when, uh, where he said that he wasn't even aware half the time of how many people were there because he was away, he was painting, he was asleep. So I but always But he comes wondered, out with 20%. Yeah, he, he came yes. out with 20%. Again, 
again, it was there were so many mysteries. And I put out the first episode. It was in April of 2019. And needless to say, a lot has changed. Like literally the world has changed since uh, 2019. Again, it was the fact that this case was no in nowhere's done. It's it's still in nowhere's com- in no ways complete. No. We don't know what happened to this young woman, but I did gather more information. If I had been putting this podcast out now, knowing what I know, it would sound quite differently. There isn't really an end. When you're dealing with unreliable narrators, things can things and, can be one, quite different. One benefit is that this podcast has stretched beyond mm-hmm. Charlottesville, and I got uh, feedback from somebody in Massachusetts and somebody in Utah. And wow. they're not next door to each other. They yeah. don't talk to each other and everything like that. One thing, you know, next to the Edwards story was the last episode we did uh, down the rabbit hole. Both have really said, this guy sounds like a really bad person. And just to be clear, we're talking about the individual who organized those infamous parties at Edward Thomas's house. In all my years of doing any sort of investigating, any sort of writing, wow. Talk about somebody that where nobody had anything good to say about him. This is not an exaggeration. The best thing, a description of him that I, that I was told was he was a lower-than-life bottom feeder. That was an exact quote from somebody that knew him as <laughs> That's a good place to be. Compared to the other things that were told to me about this individual, that's actually that, that's actually pretty high up there. I mean, if I said a lo- some of the other things, this would be like rated, uh, you know, NC-17. But no, th- there was nobody had anything good to uh, say about this individual. And he... When, I'm, and when I say that, I mean, and I don't, not, I'm not trying to be funny, but Bill Cosby would say, you are bad person. (laughs) The stuff you do is really bad. Which also brings up another thing is that a lot of people have told us this guy's into roofing people. And if people don't know what roofing is, it's a date rate job. Oh, he was accused of that by a couple of people um, from somebody that said, oh yeah, it was well known. I mean, there were all these really That bothers me, by the way. Oh yeah, why it's well known. Uh, That that, that really bothers me with this. That really bothered me too, just the blase way it was presented. It was almost like saying, well, you know, he, he drives like a white car something like or he has like you know uh green eyes i mean just something that was just so casually mentioned it was really astounding he certainly made a reputation for himself that was overwhelmingly negative this man especially since he was practically begging to share his story with anyone or anything should have definitely have been at least interviewed by the police and we know like i've seen pictures of this guy with people i know oh yeah I'm not saying that my friends I've seen them with, but I know who they are. And And an interesting thing, too, is that everybody, uh, well, at least everybody that I have spoken to, pretty much has washed their hands. I mean, they'll say, oh, I hardly knew the guy. I barely knew this man. And, well, it appears that And that washing of your hands is why he's been able to continue and expand his business, if you want to call it that, into other things. Uh, It's like the saying, you got your hands in one thing, you're going to have your hands in everything. And he was accused of having his hands in many, many pies. But, you know, getting back to that, there was some disappointment by some people that were close to Molly saying, well, why are you going down these roads? Why are you talking about this man? Why are you talking about, you know, these parties? And again, it's because this was very relevant. This was really... No, this is very relevant. This was very much part of her world If I didn't think this was relevant, I would have told you to go a different direction. Well, exactly. And, And, um... 
when you're dealing with real life and when you're dealing with a real life mystery, you don't get to control really what material is relevant and which material isn't relevant. No. It's, it's You don't get to pick the things that, oh, I like these topics versus, wow, this is dark, this is uncomfortable. That's not something that you have the luxury of doing. It's just something that was too good not to share. I met with an individual who was thinking about writing a real life um, book about this, nonfiction, and this person had a very clear idea as to what happened to Molly Miller and also wanted to minimize the um, the parties, everything else. Didn't want it to go the direction it went. They, they didn't want it. Exactly. Thank that, you. That's Thank really, you. That, I that, mean... And, it, and I, I remember actually saying to this person, well, in that case, you would be better off writing a novel because what, what you're trying to put forth is not true. Right. Uh, nobody knows what happened to this young woman. No. And... Uh, to ignore, to you know, to cherry pick certain things and to completely leave out bits um, of her life and of her background, or just well, it, we just it's, can't it's do not, that. You just can't do no. that. No, I had even contacted my source at FedEx office to reiterate, yeah. just check out. And I go, what was she like? And she goes, you know, she was upbeat and very outgoing. And mm-hmm. other than that, she would wear short sleeves when it's extremely cold out. It was about 17 degrees out. Yeah. And then other people have said, you know, she was very cold personality. Yeah. And there was also the voice, the baby voice that we talked about. So we're dealing with something unusual here. I said that in one episode that one thing that, that was very consistent is that everybody said that she was very nice. I spoke to more people since then, and I, I guess like most people, she was different things to different people. I did have people, indeed, who said that she was very nice, but I also had people who said that she was very cold. The picture that emerged was much more complex, and especially mm-hmm. much more complex than what this uh, would-be author was proposing that wanted everything to fit into very tidy categories. Right. And we're not going to go down that road. really don't have the information to say what was going on as being Molly. Exactly. Um, because it is just, we've heard so much. Exactly. And also the other criticism, well, why can't you just focus on like the, from the time she disappeared until the time she was found? Well, that really is important. But also what about the events that led up to this? What, what was going on into this young woman's life? I mean, there's, as again, there's only really two possibilities. One, she committed suicide or two, she didn't commit suicide. Well, okay. If she committed suicide, what factors might have played a role in this? And if she didn't commit suicide, then what actually happened? And the only way you're going to get a clear picture of that is to really examine not only what her life was like, but but also the people around her. What were these people into? And why is it we've, and I said this in a previous episode, we've heard three different reasons. One was a suicide, mm-hmm. cancer, mm-hmm. The Crotum, mm-hmm. or as my friend in Fredericksburg uh, corrected us, uh, yes, we have Fredericksburg, listen, <laughs> Kratom, mm-hmm. whichever. It can be pronounced either. Well, I, I like think it goes either way. We know what we're talking about here. Exactly. Okay, and I, I don't mean to offend the, uh, the men and women who uh, produce this substance, uh, but anyway, that's just a side. So, but the thing is, um, so we're hearing three different ways, plus she was too small to be found in the house. She's five foot nine inches, which is a tall for a woman. Yeah, I was told uh, one description of her was tall and willowy, and and the pictures certainly suggested somebody that yeah, yeah, that description. We're not talking about someone who's like just over four feet tall and uh, is behind a um, 
a stack of uh, boards that are going to be used for the upstairs renovations. And a question that came up was, well, was the inside of the house um, very cluttered? And I asked people who had been in that house, claimed that they had been in there like days before or, or a week before she had passed and said that, no, it was not. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't stacked wall to wall with stuff. In fact, we had a, someone who listens from Midlothian was aware of this case also and had a picture and said it looked like a hoarder's place. And he was it, basing that on, on the backyard, I believe. He said he yeah, saw yeah, pictures it, supposedly of their backyard. But in fact, asked, it wasn't like that. No, no. The, because I did ask that. I said, was it was it you know very cluttered? I had three people independently say no, it was not. One had been there like weeks before she had uh, had passed. Another person had been there, I think, less than a week before she passed away. And it goes back to, you know, like I said before, and I'm going to say it really blunt now. If a body's been hanging in the closet for three days, there's going to be a stench. Yeah. And it's not going to be something you are going to say... Ah, that's nothing. As we get to the close of this, I did reach out to the Charlottesville Police Department. I wanted to know, just you know, informational-wise, okay, if somebody's reported missing, is it uh, is it true what I heard? It is standard procedure normally to search the house. And furthermore, okay. uh, you know, I, I really wanted to hear, ideally from like an experienced police detective, can you tell me how a body would not be detected in a house, especially when you're talking about such a small living area and especially in a, in a, in a bedroom closet, you, you know, for reasons that you mentioned, like the smell of um, decomposition, but but also too, you know, just the fact that, you know, a, a five foot nine inch uh, person, a closet is, isn't that, it isn't that hard to find. As you know, know people in other localities that are police departments. I even have a cousin mm-hmm. that does, well, he's retired now, but he did undercover narcotics in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. which was not a pretty thing to be doing, as you can yeah. imagine, especially in Albuquerque. Oh, yes. But um, Breaking Bad. You know, everyone's familiar with that. He's actually, he actually uh, did some security on the set of Breaking Bad, which oh, is kind of funny. But um, funny. anyways, um, and, and, and also some people that I've talked to who are in law enforcement, because I do have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I do know people like that. Yeah. If this is uh, somebody who's in a long-term engagement, the first thing they're going to do is check out the house. Yeah. That's just the, that's just standard pr- procedure. And if there was a body in the closet, I'm led to believe that the house was not checked out or the body was moved and put in the closet. Yeah, that would be the two logical um, that's conclusions. That's just my opinion. From that. that's, I mean, I'm not I'm not, you know, I'm not the law enforcement though, but and that's my opinion. There's something else. The police uh, we've we told them before they're, you know, they're allowed to come on this cast and I'm tired absolutely. of telling them that. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, mean, you know, Russ, I was pretty naive when I started this mm-hmm. because I was not expecting the hostility from the police department. I, I did not make this, you know, to be anti-police. It was a question that was worth asking, you know, what, how, how was this missed, particularly when they did go, you know, well and beyond a usual missing person. I mean, not, not only did they have a search uh, uh, in the area, but they also had uh, brought in the use of dogs, as it had been mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I was not expecting, you know, the police chief to, uh, instead of really blasting the merits of the podcast, like, Instead of saying that there was anything that was factually wrong with it, she just really played upon emotion, saying that this was incredibly cruel to do this to the family. This was incredibly. Um, uh, th- 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 she also scooped in what this podcast with the flyers, with everything like that, the chalkings that appeared around town, which which I I had nothing to do with. No, and, and that's why I said the signs that I put up yeah, were not were the, not, not no. the same signs that were dropped at people's well those signs, dorm room steps. 
because I, I know I, I know yeah, better than to go well, near the dorm rooms. <laughs> that were put up and, and 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 the chalkings. I mean, they were um, they were the results of, of Edward Thomas. He he admitted that. I mean, he admitted that on record. Well, he's also seen in a picture at the year after Unite the Right yes, wearing yes. those T-shirts. Google, Google Molly oh, Miller. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which wouldn't work because there's actually two Molly Miller cases. One is in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, but you could you could find out the Virginia one. Yeah, he yeah. he was yeah, and I'm not making light of that case. Yeah, in any way, he freely admitted to it. He he showed me about it. one time when I interviewed him, and he was going around putting up the flyers, and uh, it was it was an interesting interview because I'm asking him questions and he's putting them up. I didn't like the fact that the podcast was being grouped in with the flyers and the chalkings because they they weren't the same thing and they they weren't related. Right. And, and the offer still stands. I mean, well, you know, like, okay, the offer stands. We know that. But what I would want to, if you were somebody who was, how can I say it, violated by one of these quote parties, you're more than welcome to reach out to us. Yes. I, you know, we also talked about how the hypocrisy of, you know, the in uh, sex work that the sex worker gets the heat, but the the person picking up the sex worker gets very little heat, and also the pimp or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Nothing happens to them. Yeah, it was never our intention to out the sex worker, the, the, the alleged sex worker. No, we in fact, say. We, I'm we, starting to see that as a very, they were violated. You know, everyone can be taken. I just want to let everyone know that. And if you were one of these girls that was taken, we'd be more than happy. You can even come on the mic and we can... Uh, Disguise your voice. Disguise your yeah. voice. Keep you anonymous. We don't have to tell anyone. Exactly. We, uh, yeah, we were not. Yeah. There's, there's a reason why we didn't know who Deep Throat was until Deep yeah. Throat came out. Okay. Three people knew who he was. Woodward, Bernstein. And Catherine Graham. Right? No, not Catherine Graham. Should... Bob Woodward. Uh, no. Um, who owned, who was the editor of the Post? I just forgot his I name. Know, but, but he knew, but too. The editor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, those are the only three that knew. And... He, you know, we have a source like that, and there's all sorts of times when there's a, oft, a source that has fed information like that. There's a lot of deep throats out there. And exactly. And, you know, when I was investigating this, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I was like, um, you know, okay, fine. If if you want to throw sex parties, if this is your cup of tea, go for it. I you know, really go for it. Uh, it was not something that I was personally um, familiar with, but the, the problems that w- was really worrisome to me were the allegations that were coming up, allegations of trafficking, allegations of, uh, you know, for very serious allegations that very much stemmed around the uh, individual that was coordinating that. So that's why, you know, the focus really became on that, because I did feel that as somebody that was investigating this, I'm th- was thinking, well, if there what? was an action, if there were crimes that were taking place, then this is this is worth noting well the the thing that really really just sticks in my mind is people changing their story oh there was so much of that so so much that's of actually that. what's going on that's the that's the current climate right now is changing your story there, there was throwing there, each other under the bus oh, and there, there, there was a lot of that oh my gosh oh my gosh i guess to, just to end on that about changing the story so um russ as you know i have multiple recordings and and no and now, by now, two full notebooks filled right. with notes and the contradictions. I, I made it, yeah, of course, I, I, I dated everything and they were time stamped, but it was amazing how the story changed. Um, sometimes they changed from day to day, but sometimes I was told like something one week, a week later, or a month later, it was something entirely different. Well, even stuff like, yeah, I was there, I saw this, this happened, this person did that. I really wasn't there and... 
you know, I didn't go. Or and I'm like, look, you change a story like that. Exactly. There's obviously a truth issue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or it was the fact that you know, oh, I hardly knew any of these people. And one notable uh, change of story is that Edward Thomas went from telling me that the man who organized those parties was was a surrogate father figure to recently, my understanding is, is he called him an outright sadist and said that mm-hmm. he was just taken advantage of by this individual. So, and, yeah, and it's, it's changing a and story. And there's a claim that they're not around each other anymore. With the pattern, maybe they are around each other. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. That, that was another <laughs> thing that was that, that I always just walked away really not knowing. He claimed that he cut off all contact with this individual. He knew nothing about him, but it appeared that he was aware of his uh, financial situation and even w- where he moved to w- when he left town. Right. You know, if you cut off all contact with somebody, it's not information I think that someone would be privy to. More than one person claimed to have left town. Yeah. Three. Yeah. A lot of people um, claim to leave town. But, and but one left the country. <laughs> yeah, that's alleged. Maybe maybe that person did. I don't know. Oh, oh, oh the, the person who left the country, yeah. Who, um, the, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I know who you're talking yes. about. Yeah. But I think really that's all we have to say on this interview, unless you have anything else you wanted to say. Thank you for listening. We right. really welcome your feedback positive, negative, anything. We really welcome it back. And again, thank you for being with us on this journey. And And if anybody, you know, finds this to be a very somewhat confusing journey, believe us, we know exactly how you feel. And I did talk to an organization in Lynchburg, and Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to get in touch with them again. They were more than welcome to. That they know from local law enforcement down there that girls have been put in taxi cabs for $200 from Charlottesville sent to Lynchburg. Mm-hmm. So sex trafficking does happen here. Oh, yes, Even it does. this magical, the magic kingdom of, of Charlottesville, it's happening. And what's interesting is I did, someone I worked with, uh, she went to Radford mm-hmm. and said that there uh, was an issue there. Wow. College town, Charlottesville, college town. I also know it's, it happens a lot in Harrisonburg where James Madison University is, college town, college age girls. First time away from home, maybe I don't know. We can we we could probably ask that person if that is a a common occurrence, and also to you know to talk about what we've found out. Exactly. Yes. And again, I wanted to say you know we've extended the arm to a lot of people, and of course you haven't come on, and you know you and you still want us to stop. But I do really want to extend the hand to anyone who uh, knows anything and may have been in a very bad position because of this because there really aren't names for people who do this type of stuff they're they're really not names for the these type of people exactly and we just want to say you know as well that we will keep you anonymous and please contact us thank you for listening to missing molly an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. Opinions expressed have been solely those of the participants. Missing Molly was written and produced by Kimberly Lowe, with engineering and editing from Mike Friend. Original artwork from Natalie Jacobson. Music composed and performed by Sam Whedon. Digital assistance is from John Taylor, with special thanks to Todd Ely, Lori Goodbody, Stephanie Bottoms, Josh Bontrager, Tina Hicks, Courtney Stewart, Lloyd Snook, and Edward Thomas. For more information, you can contact Missing Molly Podcast at gmail.com.